It was one year ago this month the world as we knew it changed forever. As I keep saying, we are all in this together. Shock and disbelief gave way to chaos and confusion. Let me be clear, if you're abroad, it's time for you to come home. Adversity, hardship, challenges aren't new in our lives. Still, many of us feel like COVID has ushered in an age of loneliness that is difficult to describe. I'm in prison because I'm stuck in my apartment. You're supposed to you know, hang out with people, get to know them, go out for drinks with classmates. Now it's just Zoom classes all the time. Most affected by the pandemic are our children, students, elders, and the disabled. My mental health ended up really slipping. Um, I kind of like hit a wall. I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety, which is something I never knew about myself. Today on the program, NBC's Elizabeth Chuck, whose story about a teen who took his life because of the pressures of the pandemic is with us. And a father's heartbreaking story of losing a daughter to suicide. Special ed teacher Michael Gibson gives us the lowdown on how his students are faring and a heartwarming and inspiring intergenerational program in British Columbia. Plus the cue with psychologist Andrea Gruenwald and Redeemer student Patricia Khoury. But first, here's Maggie John with one of Harvard University's researchers in loneliness. Milena Batanova is part of a team at Harvard's Graduate School of Education that studies loneliness in relation to the pandemic. They recently authored a report how the pandemic has deepened an epidemic of loneliness and what we can do about it. Thank you so much, Milena, for joining us today. Alarming numbers of people are lonely as a result of the pandemic. In your research, you found that young adults are far more likely not only to be lonely, but to suffer anxiety and depression. Why? Yeah, so, well, we found 61% of young adults, 18 to 25, reported um, serious loneliness, so feeling it frequently or all of the time. I should clarify, we didn't actually ask them about their anxiety or depression levels, but in our report, we did cite links to anxiety and depression when it comes to loneliness. And I think, you know, in large part, we've, we've faced such unprecedented uncertainty and worry um, because of the pandemic. Um, and I think, you know, that can be significantly compounded for people on the brink of mental health challenges. Um, and in our report, we also did cite that um, loneliness and depression are known to compound each other quite brutally, right? Where research, there's been lots of research to show that depression can breed loneliness, but also loneliness can breed depression. And we also saw that there's an increase in the sense of loneliness due to the pandemic. So, you know, we're a year in and people are feeling lonelier than they did a year ago. Explain this to me. Yeah, I think so. We found an uptick of about 30% where people reported, you know, um, comparing their levels of loneliness right before the pandemic and, and after. Um, you know, and I think in large part, it might be this, um, you know, terrible distancing, right? Like the actual physical distancing and social distancing, which turns into psychological distancing. And people really do feel apart. Um, you know, we did find that um, a good chunk of people, about um, over 30% of our lonely people, um, said that they didn't have anyone reach out to them um, in the past few weeks to see how they're really doing um, in a way that made them feel like they genuinely cared about them. And for young people, that was even higher. It was something like 50% of young people who were lonely saying no one reached out to them. 
You also state yeah. that loneliness has, you know, um, a high cost to it, and that is linked to early mortality and a wide array of serious physical and emotional yeah. problems. Tell us about this, the physical um, as aspect of loneliness. Yeah, you know, in doing the research myself, I was shocked actually at at the great, um, you know, physical and cognitive risks that loneliness can carry. Um, apparently, you know, there's research to show it can carry as great, if not greater risks as heavy smoking and drinking. Um, and, and that's really shocking, right? Um, that's something we think, oh, it's psychological, it will pass, it's not that big of a deal. It really is. It, it's, it's a burden that we carry with us. Um, and I think morally, right, and like ethically, it, it, it's, it's a huge cost to society. Um, when we find that people are feeling so um, deeply neglected or, um, like I said, unheard or unvalued in some way, you know, there's many different types of loneliness. Um, but, you know, in general, what it is, is this like huge gap between what people want to see in their relationships and their social lives and what they're not seeing. Yeah. So it's that gap that we really want to fill and try and, and close as much as we can. Oh, thank you so much, Milena, for shining a light on this and making us aware of this. Thank you so much for your work. Again, Milena Batanova, Research and Evaluation Manager at Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thanks for having me. To the U.S. now, where a family in a suburb outside of Chicago has been shattered by the loss of their son. When Dylan Buckner's parents woke up on January 7th, little did they know that it would be the last day they would see their promising 18-year-old star athlete and straight-A student. By 3 p.m. that day, Dylan died by suicide. His parents say their son's death was due to the impact of the global pandemic. NBC reporter Elizabeth Chuck has been covering this story closely and joins me now. Thanks so much, Elizabeth, for joining us. Thank you, Maggie. This is such an important topic, so I really appreciate you covering it. It is absolutely important. Dylan's parents say he woke up happy on January 7th, went to see a psychiatrist, and then attended online classes. But by 3 p.m. that day, he was found at a local hotel dead. What happened? So, to me, this is the most frustrating and mystifying aspect of this tragedy is we don't know what happened. We know that Dylan Buckner had been struggling with depression for a couple of years. We know that the depression got significantly worse in the months leading up to his death, which as you pointed out, did correspond with the pandemic and the pandemic shutting down his school and his athletics, which were major parts of his life. But we don't know why on that particular day, Dylan took his life. Dylan's parents, Chris and Karen Buckner, told me that if they had any idea that their son was going to do this, they never would have left his side that day. So as Karen Buckner, Dylan's mom put it, it just seemed like a switch flipped at some point during the day. Now, we don't know why that switch flipped, but what we do know, generally speaking, is that suicides can be a result of um, an act of impulse, particularly in teenagers and adolescents whose brains are still developing and who just don't have the number of life experiences that adults do to show them that they can be resilient and they can get through hard moments or difficult emotions. 
So we're not sure what happened in this particular case. We do know that sometimes these can be acts of impulse, but I wanna make clear that that doesn't necessarily mean that these can't be prevented. Just because these can sometimes be the result of a switch flipping doesn't mean that we can't do things to help people who are struggling with this. Um, here in the US, there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There's the Crisis Text Line. There's so many other resources out there. And as long as people who have these feelings have these tools in their toolbox, we can prevent these kind of things from happening. Elizabeth, we have less than a minute, but I want to ask you, there are a number of reports of parents who have lost their teenagers to uh, death by suicide, and they're blaming the pandemic. What are you hearing? What are you sensing? I am hearing anecdotal reports of parents saying that their child has died by suicide and that they are blaming the pandemic. That one thing that mental health experts emphasize is that Suicide is multifactorial, meaning it never happens just because of one reason only. So and we also do not have statistics yet for this past year in terms of suicides, whether they've gone up, whether they've stayed the same. So it's important to know that this is not inevitable, that there will be more suicides among any age group, including children and, and teenagers. But um, yes, there are parents who are saying, listen, my child was doing great in school. And as soon as everything started to get shut down, this, this child became a different person and they were struggling a lot, you know, in the loneliness of their Zoom classes or, or wherever with, with sports getting shut down. Thank you so much for shining the light on this story, Elizabeth. Again, Elizabeth Chuck from NBC News. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maggie. Like to watch more Context Beyond the Headlines? Catch up on any of our shows online. On YouTube, search Context Beyond the Headlines for the most up-to-date episodes and extended content. Listen on the go with Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Check out our reporters' and producers' stories at our website, context.show. Follow us on Instagram at Context Beyond the Headlines and Twitter at Context TV. There are so many ways to put more context into your life. Lexi Dakin's story has garnered national attention. The 16-year-old grade 10 student went to Dr. Everett Chalmers Hospital in Fredericton, New Brunswick on February 18th with a guidance counselor who was concerned about Lexi's mental health. After waiting for eight hours, they were told they would have to wait even longer if they wanted a mental health assessment. Lexi left that day without receiving any help. Six days later, the beautiful, fun-loving grade 10 student died by suicide. Chris Dakin is Lexi's father and he joins us now. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. Thank you for having us to help share our story. First of all, um, please accept our condolences at the loss of Lexi. This story is a sad reality of how broken the healthcare system is in this country. You and your family are dedicated to speaking out, why? I guess the big thing is we want Lexi's death to have some type of meaning. Mm -hmm. We didn't want her to just be another statistic. The amount of emails and text that we've received over the last week and a half, the story is resonating with so many people that have shared such similar experiences with the child or loved one mm -hmm. that we feel now we don't want to stop till the changes are actually made. Lexi um, had shown signs of depression last year, you stated early in the in the summer. Yep. Um, tell me about that and what you and Shauna were seeing in Lexi early um, last year. She's a kid that likes a schedule, like, mm -hmm. you know, morning, noon, night, 
she kind of focused her activities, you know, come home, we eat supper, she does homework, chats with her friends, plays with her brothers and sisters. So once COVID hit, that really, I think, was kind of probably start of the downfall, I guess, of where a lot of issues started with Lexi. Like, you know, she didn't have her friends for the social aspect. She didn't have the school to keep her busy. You know, it's easy to look back at hindsight and say, you know, this is what I've noticed. But as it's happening, you don't see the signs. And like, yeah. you know, I'm the first to admit that I didn't see the signs. Like, yeah, I think, it, Chris, a lot of a lot of parents feel that way, right? Like, you're just trying to keep your kids entertained, especially in this time of pandemic when everything's been taken away, that you're just yeah. trying to do your the best for your kid at that moment. Yeah, and like I do personally, like I do a lot of stuff with the kids. Like, you know, we'll all take them sliding, like we ski, you know, softball in the summer. But I guess I noticed even this summer, like Lexi didn't have the same commitment to softball as she did the previous summer. And then in November, she attempted suicide and and you and and shauna did the right thing you went got help sought out help what happened then because i feel like that was Uh, the beginning of the system kind of failing you uh, so you know in the middle of that night lexi od'd on some pills uh, but it scared her so bad that she actually made herself throw up and she actually called 911 herself and being typical Lexi she actually tried to sneak out of the house with wake without waking me up that night and uh, I woke up that night to the uh, the flashing lights from the ambulance I was like all right I'll follow you in so you know I got dressed and went into the hospital with her that night and and you know the first visit she did actually see a psychiatrist but and that's when he made the diagnosis that she had uh, borderline personality and suffered with depression you talked about hindsight's 2020, Chris. What advice would you give parents who are watching they're trying to struggle to survive with their kids and their teens? Um, you know, one thing I can probably look at, I wish I didn't allow my kids to play on their phones and social media as much as I did. Mm-hmm. I know it's not going to stop it, but to me, I think the children today are so bombarded with the world news that they don't have mm-hmm. time to be themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's part of it. So I guess I would say as a parent you know try to focus on your kids you know put them first uh if you see some subtle changes in them try to speak to them like you know force them to speak to you like you know find out what's going on with that kid especially if you start to see some subtle changes and i mean i know this last year has been hard on everyone you know parents and children alike because it's thrown everybody's schedule off you know or everybody's routines so Thank you so much again, Chris Dakin. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Coming up, registered psychotherapist Andrea Gruenwald and Redeemer Psychology student Patricia Khoury share practical tips on how to help your teen deal with the loneliness and fear this pandemic has thrust upon them. Like to watch more Context Beyond the Headlines? Catch up on any of our shows online. On YouTube, search Context Beyond the Headlines for the most up-to-date episodes and extended content. Listen on the go with Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Check out our reporters' and producers' stories at our website, context.show. Follow us on Instagram at Context Beyond the Headlines and Twitter at Context TV. There are so many ways to put more context into your life.
Michael Gibson is a special education teacher and observes daily how kids are coping with the changes the pandemic has forced upon us. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today. What are you seeing firsthand when it comes to how kids are dealing with online learning and the changes in routine and this new normal? Well, it's been very challenging for students. Um, obviously, learning at home is not uh, the best learning environment for them. And so we're finding that they're distracted and there's a lot of issues with anxiety uh, with respect to uh, what is going on and returning back to school. So we just do our best to uh, walk the students through that and help them process what they're feeling. Is there enough mental health support in place to help kids through this pandemic? As you talked about, just, you know, the struggle with isolation, the struggle with not connecting with friends. Is there enough support? Well, clearly because of the pandemic, all of us have been caught flat-footed in terms of being able to support every single child. Um, I do know within all the school boards around the GTA, we have stepped up our training. We have stepped up making available social workers and so forth to, uh, to uh, handle and to really help students process. But certainly we could use a lot more help um, with classroom teachers and helping students process that as the year goes on for sure. What does that help look like? I mean, I always say to the teachers of, of my kids that we're in a team together and we have to work together. But what does that look like in a pandemic when, you know, everybody is out of sorts and everybody's out of their comfort zone? How can we support teachers more? One of the things that, that, I, that I tell my parents is, is, of course, parents are under their own stresses to be able to manage that and then also um, be attentive to their children. Um, notice those little changes, notice those little things that you know as a parent are off, and don't hesitate to sound the alarm bells earlier rather than later. In terms of the school, you know, this is a community effort to take care of our children. They're our most precious thing. And so we, we, we are partnering with parents in order to help their children process what's going on. And so we do have additional resources at school, um, you know, administrators are uh, have been given more resources and definitely they're very open and attentive to any issues or problems that parents uh, may, may be facing with their children the research the resources are there we just have to take advantage of them and actually access them thank you so much michael gibson for your time today you're welcome
Neighborhood Health Partners Society in Vancouver has a unique way of connecting two groups in society that might never meet and yet belong to two demographics that are suffering most right now, young adults and seniors. Connie Stam and Greg Lusink join us now to tell us more. Thank you both for joining us today. Connie, tell us about this intergenerational program and why it was started. Yes, so this actually was a winter initiative, knowing that um, with the pandemic, the restrictions are continuing and that both uh, groups uh, you know, could use some interactions. And for the volunteers, it's difficult to get their um, volunteer hours in. So this was a nice initiative also for them to get volunteer hours and to the enriching experience of learning the life experiences of the seniors. I love it. Greg, you are a volunteer and you were paired up with a senior who had a stroke that affects his speech. Why do this? Um, well, it's really nice to meet people in the community, also for volunteer hours, but I think it's become more than that. It's really enjoy, it's really enjoying to talk with this guy. He's got so much. Um, he's also a double amputee, and so he is so interesting. What have you learned through this relationship that you've had with uh, your partner, your, your friends now? Um, well, his biggest piece of advice is to laugh a lot. Mm -hmm. And we tried to do that quite a bit. And it's just a lot of fun talking with him. Connie, you have seen uh, relationships flourish through this program. Tell me about that. Yes, and so they're, you know, as you say, unlikely partners, but I'm getting very positive feedback from my volunteers, but on the other side, also from the older adults, mm. that they, you know, many of them are also surprised. They were a little bit apprehensive how it would go, but uh, many of them have said they would love to keep connections going. And how important is this program, especially now during the pandemic? Well, we are definitely getting, uh, I have to say, since it's been heard throughout the country, there's a lot of places that want to emulate it. Mm. And uh, we're actually going to be doing a survey to, to get that answer back from both groups and you know have a better understanding if there's any changes we need to make. But it is a way of having communications that um, you know we used to know, but uh, we don't use as much. And Greg, you know, we've been talking a lot throughout the show about young people and loneliness as well. How do you see this, you know, playing into just being connected with somebody who, again, you might never meet, who's a little bit older than you, and, and just really having that socializing with people in your community? I really think that what we're missing the most is connection right now. Yeah. And if we can just add that one extra person that we're talking to and even meeting a new person like that is so enriching. Um, I think just as much connection as possible is best. Connie Stam and Greg Lusink, thank you so much for your time today. What a great, great program. Loneliness is the gap between the social connections you would like to have and the ones that you feel you do have. And this gap is almost always distressing to a certain extent. A year into the pandemic and we are seeing a cry for help from young people with hospitalizations up and calls to helplines increasing. Registered psychotherapist Andrew Grunewald is here to help us understand the impact this pandemic is ha having on young people. And Patricia Khoury is a psychology student at Redeemer University who has struggled with depression in the past. Welcome to you both. 
Andrea, that's what you do for a living. You're you're meeting with people on a regular basis. You know, we're seeing calls to crisis hotlines from young people have increased significantly. Young adults are being admitted to hospital in serious condition. What is happening to our young people right now through this pandemic? Maybe a lot of the people that I'm seeing in this teen age um, bracket are feeling tired. They're feeling um, despondent. They're feeling anxious. They're feeling stressed. Um, they're feeling lonely and hopeless. And I, I understand it because most of them are sort of at home. They're, you know, doing school online by themselves. Uh, stuck at home by themselves with their family 24-7. I mean, what teen wants to spend 24-7 with their parents? And uh, a lot of the fun stuff of teens going out, socializing, uh, have been taken away or eliminated altogether. Studies have shown that youth who felt uh, less in control experience negative mental health symptoms. We have all lost some sense of control throughout this pandemic. How do we help our teens through this? Yeah, definitely. So the first thing I would say is to make sure that teens recognize and understand that they are not alone. Uh, it's definitely hard because as students, we are used to having control and going to school, walking and talking with our friends, going to the mall and, you know, being the social creatures that we are. And all of these things will allow us to feel in control and organized, but all of these things now have been taken away from us. So it can definitely become difficult and can lead to negative outcomes. And another thing is it's okay to seek help. It's okay to talk to other people about it. It's okay to kind of go to someone who you trust and as a source to kind of talk to them because they're probably going through the exact same thing. So there's no shame in asking for help. And the third thing would be to provide teens with the resources necessary and um, equip them with the right resources to help them, whether it's a discussion with a colleague or a counselor, whoever it may be. And these things will surely help them to kind of um, show them that you are not alone, you are in control, you can get through this. Yeah, Andrew, we're, we're also seeing increase, interestingly enough, in eating disorders among young people. Why do you think that is? I think that whenever you experience a lack of control, so the things uh, we look in our society, we, we don't have uh, control over the rules that are imposed on us. Uh, we don't have control over so many things right now and so we can control what we put in our mouth so we're seeing an increase in eating disorders things like self-harm if you think about the teenage brain and the fact that the frontal cortex is not completely developed mm. and a lot of the things in covid have kind of turned up the dial on emotions and so the emotions are sort of boiling over so if you don't have sort of positive ways uh, to deal with those emotions than um, some of these other ones like eating disorders, self-harm, uh, marijuana, opioids, all these kinds of things are, are happening and on the, on the rise over this past year. Yeah, it's been scary to watch. All right, last question, and Andrea, I'll turn this one to you. How do we point all of this to our faith? You know, I, I, you know, as a parent of a teenager, I have so many friends as well uh, that have teenagers. And, and again, grappling with this pandemic, how do we focus all of this fear, all of this frustration, this loneliness uh, to our faith? You know, um, I think about Psalm 26, like God is a help in troubles. And I think about, you know, the, 
the picture that's um, depicted there of the the oceans raging and the mountains falling into the sea. And that's kind of what it feels like right now. And so to recognize that God is present with us, we're not alone. He is here with us and he will deliver us. He'll help us out of this situation, just like he has helped us out of many other situations in our history and in our past. Amen to that. Andrew Grunewald and Patricia Corey, thank you so much, ladies, for your time today. Hi, I'm Calvin Mazik, Director of Context. Each week, our team tackles news headlines that affect us all. Our producers go beyond those headlines where we find God in action. But we could not produce this program without you, our viewers and our donors. If you'd like to find out how you can support the show, visit us at crossroads.ca forward slash context. We'll see you next week and every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. right here on Yes TV.